Okay, I was asked to give my testimony, you might say, what the Lord has shown me over the years. I would like to get my Bible and read Romans chapter 6 if you want to join me. I won't read the whole chapter, but we'll turn to chapter 6. It's part of the gospel that, I don't know, sometimes gets skipped or missed or we don't really know what happened to us when we got saved. And I was kind of explaining it to my older son as the rest of the gospel. And he looked at me like, what are you talking about? So, verse 1, Romans 6. He's not paying attention to He's still back in Columbus. (laughs) What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead... By the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For those who has died has been set free from sin. Now, we, if, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So this is kind of what God has taken me through without my really knowing what was happening to me. I'll give you a little background. Most of you know I come from a large family, kind of dysfunctional a bit, scattered here and there. Um, when my dad married my mom, she was, had already been married three times and had three kids. And then they had seven more kids. I was the second one. I found out later when I was about 40 that he had also had two kids. So we didn't ever know them. But so I had the two older, a brother and a sister by my mom's second husband and another brother by her next husband. Anyway, um, we were spread over 20 years, so basically most of the time there were seven of us at home. And I knew my parents were Christians. They claimed to be Christians. I believe they were Christians, but I don't think they knew this part of the gospel. They didn't understand that when they accepted Christ, they accepted being born in him, being dying, dying with him and Um, being buried and raised again with him. So they had a lot of their issues that they had to deal with in the flesh. Like so many of us, we come to the Lord and we accept him as our Savior and then do our best to live a good Christian life and wonder why sometimes we fail. Some do better than others and others just fail miserably and sometimes give up because they don't know really what's going on. And my, my father had serious anger issues he was he was raised in a family with anger and so he kind of passed it on 
when he would get stressed, then, you know, he would lash out at whoever happened to cross him at the time. Um, he was probably all, in today's world, be diagnosed as bipolar. So he had his ups and downs. Um, and he didn't keep jobs real well. So there was a, a lot of tension and a lot of stress in our family. And when he would have his downtimes, and if you were smart, and like my older sister, you could tell it was coming and kind of become invisible, you know. My mom's second son clashed terrible with my dad, and he um, got beat a lot until he went to live with his dad when he was 10, when he found out my dad wasn't his dad. He didn't know that. So that was a shocker to him. And then once he was gone, my next to the youngest brother um, clashed with my dad, and he got it a lot. Uh, the, the girls, the girls basically didn't get it except me. And I only clashed with him once. I did something that he did not like. And he took great offense to that and took his rage out on me. And so I learned young. I never going to do that again. So I became a good girl. You know, I did what I could to get good grades and, and stay out of trouble and not cause any trouble because I knew what he could do. And I didn't want to suffer from that again. Um, but when I was nine, I went to church camp. And it was just like a regular morning service. And I went forward and gave my heart to the Lord. And when I went outside, all the kids were playing. And I thought, life was different. Something had changed. I was born again. I didn't really know all that had happened, but I knew I was born again. It was kind of like, I was trying to think of how to describe it. I guess if you're colorblind, and then all of a sudden you can see in color, or you didn't know something was missing until you got it, and then you knew it was missing before. So I knew I was born again. I knew I was different. And a couple years later, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. So I knew I was saved. I knew I was not of the world. And I grew up through school knowing I was different. And I was okay with that. That didn't seem to bother me. I couldn't go to dances. I couldn't go to this or that. And whether it was right or wrong, I don't know. But it didn't bother me because I knew I was different, you know. I was not of the world. What I didn't know was the death and the burial part. I didn't know that I was no longer my own person. And that when we're born again, we're, we no longer our own because we've been purchased. We've been bought. So I did the best I could to live a Christian life. You know, I was serious about it. And I meant my commitment to the Lord. Then after high school, a year at college, and I went out to North Dakota from Yakima, Washington, to Trinity Bible Institute. It was a small, it's now a college, but it was just an institute then. And it was just a marvelous, marvelous experience. The Spirit of the Lord had freedom to work there. They weren't bound by um, 
the rules as far as how many hours in class, accreditation, things that you need to do at the time. And my love for the word was really sparked. We had an awesome teacher there that knew how to make the word come to life. I remember taking this class on numbers and Deuteronomy. It doesn't sound interesting, does it? But he made that book come to life. Those two books, I thought, wow, this is pretty awesome, you know? And so and that's where I met Bob. We were married in 73, and then we went out to the Northwest area in 75, 76, 76 and 75, 76, and he finished his BA. And after that, we kind of got discouraged because the church, the condition of the church, and what we had seen at TBI and what was out really discouraged us, and we kind of got lured away and wandered away from the Lord for a few years. And then eventually we got back. But after we'd been married 10 years, we had our first son. So we were kind of late having kids, but we had our first son. And we moved out to a little area behind North Bend, Washington. Um, North Bend is a suburb of Seattle, going towards the mountains. For you that don't know, it's about 20 miles, maybe from Seattle. But we lived out behind Mount Si, in a little community, a kind of rural community. And to me, it was a dark, spiritually dark place. It, I felt like darkness hanging over it. It didn't help that 300 days out of the year, it's cloudy. You know, that doesn't help matters at all. And I, I remember feeling so alone out there. Um, but it was during that time that what had been programmed in me as far as anger began to um, manifest itself in my life. I, I began to get angry um, for over the littlest things. I look back now and it's like, it makes no sense, but I would get really, really angry at my son. It didn't happen, sorry. It didn't happen frequently, but, oh, I don't know, every few months, and I don't even know why, but I would get angry, and then I would hate myself for it, because in the middle of the anger, it was like I was doing what I was supposed to do. But afterwards, I thought, this is not right. This is not right. And I would sink into this depression for a couple of weeks, you know, hating myself for it, and then climbing back out and deciding life was okay, and keep on going, you know, until it happened again, and it just repeated itself. And I began to think, okay, I got to pray more. I got to read the Bible more. I've got to dedicate my life more. I've got to surrender my life more. And that's one thing I did when I was younger was I surrendered my life to the Lord. And even in this, what I call my terrible years, the dark times, I would pray and pray in the spirit. And I, I knew I was surrendering my life to the Lord, but I could not understand why I couldn't get a grip on what was wrong with me. I could understand my dad. Because I could see myself and my dad and my dad and myself. It's like, I understand now. He just never found 
how to get free of himself. And I found this definition for surrender, and if I would have known it then, maybe I could have understood what was going on. And this, I believe, is Oswald Chambers. He said, surrender means giving God permission to do whatever it takes to transform us into the image of his dear son. And to that end, he begins the process of bringing us to a place where we give up, admit we cannot do it, all of our trying is flesh, good flesh, but still flesh, worth nothing spiritually. Motives can be good, but the source is wrong. Some people see this clearly and don't have a lot of difficulty with it. They go into it. You know, they understand what they're doing. Some might have a more difficult time. I didn't understand what it meant at the time to be surrendered. I didn't know what all it entailed or what was going to happen. Maybe I was just a bit thick-headed. I don't know. But it just took me a long time of, I guess, having to go through it, having to experience rather than just... Um, understand what was going on and I couldn't understand what was wrong with me all I know was like horror of horrors I was my dad like oh no I'm my dad I'm a mom I shouldn't be like my dad and we were going to church we'd gone back to church and there would be good services there would be times of renewal and I would get the victory for a while and then I would relapse you know there was no fundamental change on the inside I was just kept get stronger for a while and I was going to do this thing you know but there was no real real change I would read what we just read in Romans and I could understand up here but it didn't sink down here you know what I mean I read 2 Corinthians 5.17 where everybody is a new creature Well, that's good, but somehow I didn't feel new. Somehow I felt like the same old me. And so my goal, I need a Kleenex. Sorry? Is there one over here? Okay, thanks. My nose is running. (laughs) Sorry. So I thought, well, I have to do something. So I determined each day to live with no regrets. That was my goal. So I could get through the day and say, okay. Looking back, I did okay. That was my goal, one day at a time. But, of course, I still, I don't know why, whether I was bipolar, whether I have just certain tensions, certain whatever, Every few months, I would just lose my temper, and I would get incredibly angry at our son. And then I would sink back into depression for a couple of weeks. I remember reading the book, Handbook to Happiness, by Charles Solomon. I thought, well, that's pretty cool. That's, you know, it, it sounds like a trite book, but it's this Roman 6. That's what it's about, 7 and 8. And I read Watchman Nee's The Normal Christian Life. Wow, that's good too. But again, it was up here. 
it didn't translate down into here. All it did was create more frustration because somehow I couldn't make it work. You know, as much as I wanted to, as much as I loved the Lord, as much as I surrendered my life, as much as I loved my son, I felt sorry for him, for having, me as his mom. I couldn't understand the death process because I still felt I was alive. I said, well, I'm not dead. You know, I'm still alive. The old horrible person is still alive. Most of the time I was okay, but all those crazy times. Honestly, I look back and it's like, I felt like something had just would take over. And I would be like my dad. You know, you get raging, spend it until it's spent, and then, then you feel awful for it. We moved to Yakima, Washington, and to pastor a church. So that brought on, of course, a lot more responsibilities and more stress. And we had our second son there. So that was really cool, having him. But again, there would be times of getting angry until um, it took. Um, it took Bob telling me not to get angry. That's a pretty sad place to be when your spouse has to tell you, don't get angry at them no more. But, but it felt kind of good because I felt like I had some boundaries, some perimeters, something containing me, controlling me from the outside. So I didn't get mad at the boys anymore. I just kicked doors and toys and put holes in walls. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't, you know. And then we moved to Yakima, or moved to Nebraska. In 1996, so this is 10 years now, this way of life. And I determined then to make my life as simple as possible, to reduce the stress. And so that worked fairly well, you know. But I would still get angry once in a while and still hate myself for it. And I would read... Verses in the Bible like, the Lord always causes us to triumph. Really? And read about the fruits of the Spirit. That didn't describe my life, at least not most of the time. So I just kind of began to think, thinking there was no hope. That this was my life, and I was just making a mess of everything, including my family. But what I didn't know was God had taken that surrender seriously. And even though I didn't really know what surrender entailed, he knew, and he knew that I meant the surrender. Even though I couldn't seem to get the victory, he knew I meant that I'd surrender to him. Charles Solomon, in his book, Handbook to Happiness, calls it being cornered to Christ. For some of us that don't understand or, or the cat it or whatever, keep trying on our own. We're going to do this thing, you know. He slowly peels away stuff and backs us into the corner until we have 
nothing left but him, or at least what we think we have nothing left. That was my place. I thought I had nothing left. I was getting weaker and weaker. I wasn't getting stronger. No matter how hard I prayed, I was not getting stronger. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I had asked Jesus into my heart. I'd been born again, filled with the Holy Spirit. What was wrong with me? I couldn't seem to do this on my own. Everybody else seemed to be okay, but not me. And then one day, I don't know exactly even what happened, but it was like, okay, this is the last straw. I give up. I cannot do. I cannot do this thing. I'm going to give up. That's all there is to it. And I know, I, I don't remember what year it was, 2001, 2002, somewhere in there. I knelt by the bed and I, I told the Lord that I gave up. I quit trying. And I, I thought I was going to hell, honestly. It was really, really a dark time. But I said, I know you're my savior. You saved me from my sins. But I need more. I need more than that. I need saved from myself, you know? And I remember looking forward, thinking it was just, I was just jumping off a cliff and this black hole or something. I had no idea what was out there. All I know is I gave up. I had, for lack of a better term, I had committed suicide without committing suicide. I didn't take my physical life, but I gave up my life. I gave up all rights. All plans, all hopes, all desires, all attempts, all strength, all everything. I just gave it up. I did not know what life was going to be like. Oswald Chambers calls it our white funeral. I thought, well, that's appropriate. We have a funeral for ourselves when we realize that we're dead. Maybe if I was more, maybe somebody was teaching me this stuff, I would have known, I could have avoided maybe made it shorter process and the long drawn out process with me but I gave up because God wants us to give up willingly but not all of us gives up willingly sometimes we think we have to hang on and keep trying so we don't give up willingly <coughs> Dr. Stephen Olford calls it the extinguished life and then the next process would be the relinquished life and then the distinguished life. What was my life like after that? Well, the burden that literally killed me was gone. The war was over inside. There was no more turmoil, no more conflict because I, de- I died. There's nothing I wanted, nothing I had to have, nothing that I was striving for. I was just empty. It was just, it was quiet. Very, very quiet. I went through life kind of without feeling, but it was all just peaceful and quiet inside. I remember that quiet feeling. What I didn't know was, although I had abandoned my efforts and abandoned myself, God hadn't abandoned me. He hadn't rejected me. Just because I had stopped trying, he hadn't left me. He was still there. He had waited all those years for 
for me to get out of the way so he could live. Instead of me trying to live for him, he says, it is no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. Too many times those are just words. But when we get to that place where we quit and just step back and allow him to live through us, that's what that means. I don't know where all the anger went. I don't know where all the frustration went. Life carried on as normal, but I guess because I was, for lack of a better term, I was in a coffin, you might say. I was dead, you know? I was immune to stress. I mean, you can ask Bob. There's been a lot of things, especially lately, that have could have really sent me over the edge multiple times. But I wasn't drawing on my abilities to do that. You know, I just stayed out of the way, you know, so to speak. Just stay there. Stay in that coffin. And you don't have to deal with everything. Because it's the Lord dealing with everything for you. It's Him living for you. And so He began changing me. I wasn't instantly perfect. But over time, He began transforming me, going inside and filling up all the empty spaces from my dead works. And I began to find out what Paul said. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ. You know, it's no longer me driving my brother to the hospital. It's Christ doing it. He's the one that's empowering me. It's no longer me dealing with a a drug addict son. It's God. It's Christ dealing with it for me. Whatever stress came up, whatever, it is him living. All I got to do is stay out of the way. And whatever change has happened, I can't take any credit for it because I've quit trying. And if I dare attempt to change myself at all, disaster awaits. I know it does. I have to stay out of the way. The only thing I can do, the only thing that is required of us, is that we yield to him. Actively yield to him. That's all that he asks. He does the changing. He's, he's the one that wants to transform us into the image of his son. It says when we're being transformed, too many times we read it, you transform yourself. You change. You, and it's not. It's being transformed. And who does the transforming? He does if we will just yield to him. In 2012, I began to blog at the encouragement of my older son. And this was my whole message. Was you, In fact, one of my first posts was, you can quit trying so hard. Because I knew there was a lot of people that are Christians that try really hard to be good Christians. And they struggle with besetting sins or um, emotional issues, mental health issues, addictions. And they don't need to. If they knew they were a new creature in Christ Jesus, that it's him living through them, then they can find that freedom. That's what I call the complete gospel. When we not only are saved, but we realize that we accept his life, his eternal life in us. That means when he died, we died. You know, we don't. We accept Jesus into our heart and then, yay, we're going to heaven, you know, and then we 
go on with life. But we don't realize the full gospel that we died with him. We were buried with him. That means that old person is dead. You know, we're not bound by who we were raised to be. We're not bound by our sinful nature. We're not bound by any addictions. Um, if a person is dead, Jesus is living in them, right? Yes, amen. Does Jesus get depressed? No. no. Does he get angry? No. Does he um, get stressed? No. You see how it can free a person? Because if you just keep that old person dead and in the coffin, then you're free of that. And then a couple years ago, I remembered that book, Handbook to Happiness, and I looked for our copy, and I couldn't find it, so I ordered it. And I read it again, and I thought, these people know what I'm talking about. They know what I'm going through. Now I know what I've been going through, because they explained it so clearly. And... 2016, I went out to Tennessee to take an intense four-day intensive training course for Exchange Life Certified Counselor. And I learned that that's, that was their goal, to understand that it's not what you do. You cannot do anything but who you are in Christ Jesus. And if you recognize that you are a new person in Christ Jesus and that you died with him, then all of that old is gone. And they've dealt with a lot of people over the years with some serious, serious um, mental health issues, some multiple personalities, that once they realize the truth of this gospel, all that's gone. You know, so it, it is powerful. He said it's a powerful thing. And when we accept him as our Savior... We're doing more than just getting our sins forgiven and going to heaven. Hudson Taylor called it the exchange life. He was a missionary, and he tried and tried and tried, and pretty soon he gave up. And it dawned on him, the exchange life. It dawned on him what it was about. And Watchman Nee calls it the normal Christian life. And I've since reread that book, and that's, when I see it from this point of view, it's like, wow, this is really awesome. It's not exactly what people would call the average Christian life because the average Christian life doesn't understand. Hasn't, maybe they haven't even read it. Maybe they don't have no, know nothing about it. But that Romans 6 is a key to it. I would encourage you to take time and read Romans 6 and 7 and 8. Just read it and read it and read it for 100 days in a row if you need to. Yes. Um, reading it once, it's nice up here, but it doesn't get down into here. You know what I mean? The old sin is gone. It doesn't have any more dominion over me. The one, one thing I, I remember, I knew you had to reckon yourself dead. And that's what I had tried for many years, to reckon myself dead. And you can't reckon yourself dead. Even though it says it, but it says something first. In 6.3 it says, Do you not know that all of us are baptized? And in and 6.6, 6, we know that our old body. So we need to 
know these things. Once we know them, then we can count it so we can understand and say, yes, I accept that. But until you know it, I mean, you can reckon yourself dead all you want. That's what I did. I tried and tried and tried. And it just didn't work. But when you know the truth, when you know it. But one thing that comes after my um, time out in Tennessee, when I was being driven back to the airport, I, the, the instructor was driving me back. It was like 5 in the morning or something. And I said, you know, because they use this to help people with problems. I said, you know, this is really for everybody, right? For every believer, not just for those with problems. And he just kind of smiled and nodded his head. Yeah. <laughs> and so too many times I think we see a truth in the Bible and we think it's an option. I mean, we're saved. We're going to heaven. But the surrender part, the dying part, we think it's an option. But really, I don't see anywhere in there where it is an option. Or there's, a, if you want a better Christian life, it doesn't say if you want. It just states a fact that that's what it is. And I think too many times if we don't see it, or if we refuse to, we cheat ourselves out of a wonderful, wonderful life with the Lord. And not only do we cheat ourselves, but like my family, my parents, you present a distorted picture of the gospel to those around you. You know, I mean, what was I? Getting angry? That would send any kid rebelling. You know, a Christian acting like that, I don't want nothing to do with it. And that's where a lot of my family went, too. They rebelled. But if, if my father had known that the past has no control over us, we don't have to be who we were raised to be, that the truth in Christ that set us free is really true, you know, it, it really is true, we're saved from the penalty of sin and the power of our sinful nature. I pray that a lot of, you know, you don't hesitate surrendering like I did. Um, because once you surrender, you're saying, okay, Lord, I want you to do whatever you need to do to change me into the image of your son. Because that's his goal, right? It's to change us into his image. If we allow God to remove everything that we cling to, everything we think we have to have. I have to have this job. I have to have this level of living. I have to have my kids do this. I have to have whatever it is, whatever you have to have, then that's something that's between you and him. You're not letting go. If we allow God to remove everything that we cling to, and so it's only him. He's all we want. Whether... Like when I got off track last night and ended up going northwest instead of southwest, you know, it could have, it could have been a time in the past I could have gotten angry, you know, but it's like, Lord, I don't have to have 
the correct way home. I don't have to be able to get there and by 7.15. It's okay if I get there at 9.15. It's, it's not the end of the world. I don't have to <laughs> have that. So, but when you go through, it's almost like going through a door that you don't know what's on the other side. Kind of like your physical death. We, we don't know what it's like until we do it, right? Our, our spiritual death to ourself, we don't really know. Sometimes we go willingly because we're so, we so know what we're doing or we understand what's going on. Others that don't know what's going on, we go through reluctantly and you think, I don't know about that. But I found on the other side of the cross is where there's the real joy. The joy that just never, ever stops. I don't care what the world is doing. I don't care. If the church is dead or in revival, I don't care if I get lost and go to Canada. I don't, it doesn't matter, you know. His joy, if you think about it, it just bubbles up in you and it's just, it's just always there, you know. Jesus talked about the rich young ruler giving up all of his riches and the guy went away sorrowful because he could not imagine giving up everything to follow him. But all you have to do is to give up all that is you, all that you think you have to have, all that. Sometimes we hide behind who we are, you know. I could have hid behind um, my natural shy self and said, no, I won't speak, you know, but I knew that person was dead and even if it was there in the background yelling at me, I knew I had to follow the Lord and do what he asked me to do and trusting him to just rolling off on him. You want me to do this? Fine. You know, I'll be up there, but you make it work. Because <laughs> I, I can't guarantee anything. So my total experience is yielding to him, not attempting any change myself. None. I cannot try to change and I'm not perfect there's still things that's working through me he's still finding areas in my life but I know it's a disaster if I try on my own to do anything success is dependent on me staying in my coffin and allowing him to change and to bring whatever change it's a process and it digs deeper and something more to yield but you know what there's a verse in Jeremiah 17.4 I think um, save me, O Lord, and I will be saved. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. It's all Him. You save me because I can't. You heal me because I can't, you know? And it's, He did it all by Himself. I had no counselor helping me. I was scared to go to a counselor, goodness sakes. You know, they might find out how bad I was. And, and, and seriously, they, you know how CPS is? They'll take your kid away if you. You do something that they don't like, and I was just scared to death, you know? So I was all alone. But he did it. He kept at it. He kept bringing me, you know? I knew I wanted him. I just didn't know what was wrong. I didn't know what I was doing wrong. I didn't understand anything. But I knew he reached across that universe and around the world and touched my heart. I know he did that. Nobody else did it. I didn't do it. 
He did it himself. I owe him my life, you know? He is everything to me. I want nothing else. If there's a choice between this or that, him. Something else in him, him. I don't have to have anything. There's a couple songs. One of them says, no one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Only he could. I love that. No one else could. You wouldn't think a girl raised in church, born again, spirit-filled, would have darkness. But I lived in darkness, the darkness of self. And another one says, no one else could heal all my soul's diseases. No one else. No matter what the experts, you know, the psychiatrists, the psychologists and all, they can't. They can maybe diagnose, but they can't fix because they don't understand the basis for everything that is wrong with us is our disconnect with God. Everything, whether it's depression, probably from guilt, you know, whatever, whatever things we're disconnected from our Father, our Creator, somehow, and we're on our own to deal with life. And some people do real well, but it's still flesh. They're still not born again, you know. Sometimes, maybe, I don't know if I could consider myself lucky, fortunate. Maybe not luck, but fortunate, blessed that I was brought, that I could not do this on my own and I had to come to the place where I found out it was only him. But I'm so glad. I am so incredibly glad that it's happened to me. And if you decide, if you haven't, if you decide to take that step and surrender your life completely to him, trusting him, to work through in your in his own time because it won't be like anybody else's experience it'll be your own experience he will gently but firmly begin to take things that you don't need out of your life so that you can have more of him and that's where it all comes in as we surrender we can trust him trust me I know we can trust him we can trust him he loves you no more than you can imagine. We have a hard time with that. We just don't. You know, we don't feel we don't feel the love. But when you get on the other side, you know, it's kind of like a, a toddler clinging to something you don't want them to have for something better. They cling to that little thing, and here, here we are clinging to our precious life. You know, when our heavenly Father knows so much more. He knows what's best for us. He knows what's good for us. You know what I mean? On the other side of the cross is a wonderful life. And if you consider reading Romans 6, 7, and 8, he will lead you to your own Calvary. He will lead you step by step to the place where you know that you died with him and you know what that death means and you know that there is freedom Jesus gave us a formula you might say for a successful Christian life in Luke 9.23 and 24 he says deny yourself take up your cross and follow me deny yourself not just deny I want this I'm going to deny myself no deny yourself 
You know what I mean? Take up the cross, which isn't just a nice piece of jewelry. It's a symbol of death. Two negatives, right? But oh, that third wonderful. Follow me and follow me. That's to a brand new, brand new life. He awaits for each of us to surrender our lives to him, to his care. His goal is to conform us to the image of his dear son. And again in Luke 9.24, I think I printed that out somewhere. Yeah. Whoever desires to lose or whoever desires to save his life will lose it. You're hanging on to your life. You're hanging on. You're having to have, having to have control. You will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will do what? They will find it. They will find this awesome, incredible life by giving everything to him. I'll close with this quote from Oswald Chambers again. He says, Are you prepared to let God take you into total oneness with himself? Paying no more attention to what you call the great things of life? Are you you prepared to surrender totally and let go? And once you get to that point of surrender, you'll be the most surprised and delighted person on earth. Thank you. I have a concern that that um, we we try to fast track believers, new believers especially, um, to get after and get to the ministry, get to the do this, get to do that, and and this is something that we don't teach, we don't we don't express, and and I think it's the most overlooked part of the gospel that there is. And it and it cuts to the idea that Jesus didn't come just to make our life better. He came to change us, to transform us. And um, <clears throat> the cross isn't by no means is it convenient. It's by no means um, at certain times it's not even pleasant for us. And, and remember, Jesus is the one that. That actually paid the price at the cross. We're we're identifying with what he did, but putting to death an old man um, is is not always the easy thing. It's you know we 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 want to hang on to that identity. We want to hang on to what we we were, what what our dreams were, and what and and the thing is 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 once once we reach that place and and being cornered is is a really good explanation of it god god will let us get to that place where it's him or not you know and uh if you've ever been there it's it's on one hand uh, one of the most scary places to be on the other hand when you you hit that transition and when you you finally surrender you finally release it's like the most amazing place to be you become able to do things and be things that you never thought possible and and they're not your agenda they're not your ambitions it's his
being worked out. Praise the Lord. That was great. When we're ready to make that kind of surrender, that kind of commitment, almost everybody that I hear getting to that point didn't do it at an altar, so to speak, or as a response to to a prayer time. They did it in in a in a uh, an intimate relationship with their father. They 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 come to God, and they're working out their salvation with fear and trembling. It's coming to that place where you you've got no place else to go, and and you're just beginning to listen to God and and just rolling off your burdens and and surrendering and and just letting Him have all that stuff. We can initiate that that with prayer, but the bottom line is it's got to be you and Him working that out, and Him allowing or you allowing Him to have that access. How many would dare to say that that what Oswald Chambers was talking about, um, the the idea of surrendering, being the willingness to to just allow God to have all access, basically. Let's pray. Father, bring us to that point. If we're not there already, bring us to that place in you where we truly see ourselves dead to sin, truly see ourselves crucified with Christ, buried with him and raised from the dead with him, with the resurrection life in us. Jesus, we want you. We want to to be filled with you, with your spirit, Lord. So we surrender. Father, in the days and the weeks and the months to come, Lord, bring us to that place where where we're just we're just rolling that off on you and taking advantage of, of, of the life that you give us. And Jesus, we'll be careful to give you the glory because it's not us, it's you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Sharina. Awesome. And uh, thank you, Lord.